Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, and we have a lot to get to on tonight's show as we're finally seeing some movement among some big prospects in the Orioles farm system with Heston Kerstad's promotion to AAA Norfolk, highlighting the news that came out Monday. We also have some promotions from last week to discuss, and the Florida Complex League and Dominican Summer League seasons are underway, so we're going to talk about the Orioles teams down there and some of the prospects you'll want to keep your eye on over the next couple of months. But first, we're going to start off this episode as we'd like to start off our episodes by welcoming new members of our Patreon community. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we had quite a few additions over the past week. I guess Patreon rolled out those seven-day free trials and wish they would have done it sooner. People are taking advantage. Hopefully, they're enjoying what they're seeing. But our new guys are George Lesher, Danny Fitzmaurice, Ryan Miller, Joe Adams, Cole Sims, and Thomas Carroll. Thank you all for joining. Hope to see you in the, in the WhatsApp group over the next few days and weeks. Absolutely. And as a reminder, you can sign up for Patreon for as little as $3 a month. You can sign up for that seven-day free trial and then join afterwards for as little as $3 a month. And at the 5 and $10 levels each month, you will get exclusive bonus daily content and monthly updates to our top 50 prospects list, among some other perks. With that, now we'll get into the big news of this week, which is the promotion of Heston Kerstad and Easton Lucas from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. And for Kerstad in particular, it has seemed obvious for a while that he is more deserving of a promotion. In 46 games at Bowie, Kerstad slashed 310, 384, 576, giving him a 960 OPS with 11 homers, 10 doubles, 23 RBIs, and a WRC plus of 157. This comes on the heels of Kerstad winning the Arizona Fall League's MVP honors last fall and then having an excellent run in Major League Spring Training with the Orioles. We'll get into Lucas more in a minute, but Nick, I want to start with you about Kerstad. The numbers really speak for themselves, but what stood out to you about him during his time at Bowie? I mean, just how like everything you kept hearing about Kerstad, about why the Orioles selected him with that pick. And it was a pretty unpopular pick at that time, that 2020 draft. Uh, and it turns out like a lot of the positives you saw about Kerstad and a lot of things the Orioles are pushing out of why they went this route with Kerstad, what they like about him. We're seeing all of that now. Uh, I mean, you rattled off some of the numbers and honestly, to me, the most impressive number continues to still be the 15% strikeout rate. It's, it's absurd. I mean, I don't, I don't read a ton of MLB pipeline. I don't pipeline very much when I'm looking at prospect stuff, but they did nail this Heston Kerstad thing uh, back when he was in the Arizona Fall League. I think it was, uh, was it Jim Callis, one of them, uh, who was talking to scouts, and they were like, look, Kerstad, the strikeouts, the high strikeout rate in the Arizona Fall League is just not anything to be worried about. I'm like, it's really high, though. Uh, and he did strike out you know, a decent amount last year. I'm like, I don't know. Is this like a power hitter who's going to you know, hit 30 home runs, but you know, have a Kyle Stowers-esque strikeout rate as he moves up to this double-A level competition? And turns out uh, those scouts are right. Uh, there was definitely nothing to worry about with that strikeout rate. And um, that's what's been most impressive to me. And it's just been consistent. You know, I think 
he, he didn't have, obviously we don't have to go into the whole backstory again. Everybody knows his whole medical history at this point, but last year, even he got the late starts because the hamstring injury in spring training and right when his first season of pro ball was about to begin finally after two years, two plus years. Uh, and then he gets to high A and I think he found his first struggles, but I think he was just kind of mentally and physically just kind of wearing down. And so he got that fresh reset, that good Arizona air, I guess, that clean, thin air out there to start driving the ball. It worked. He comes back fully healthy, ready to go. And we're seeing uh, what Heston Kersak can do on the field. And it's uh, it's pretty magical, if if I'm uh, being honest. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Something must have clicked from the time Aberdeen season ended and the AFL started because he's been just red hot ever since. I don't think he's had a a bad week since that time, including Major League Spring Training. He made a splash at Arizona. He made a splash at Spring Training, and he came out hot. Michael Elias was on uh, Masson early in the year on an Oriole game and saying if he continues to hit like this, he won't be in Billy Long, and, and here we are. So it shouldn't be much of a surprise. I feel like the only thing that was you know, debatably keeping him down would be is there room for him in Norfolk, but especially with all the injuries to – Kowser, Stowers, Haskin, got O'Hearn, and in now this week, Lester being up at the Major League Club, Kowser potentially going up there soon. There's more room for him, and, and like we've been saying, they can make room for him. He plays first base, DH, as well as corner outfield. So it, it's not a surprise, but it's exciting just to see that he's basically got less than a full season's worth of plate appearances, yet here he is already in AAA, kind of making up time for the missed time that he had those two years with myocarditis. I think the one thing you would be worried about is that his walk rate is only 7.3% in AA, but at the same time, if that 15% strikeout rate is real or anything close to it, then that is much less of a concern because the power is just going to be more consistent. And it's not like he even had a high BABIP. 324 is pretty average, I feel like, and he was batting 310. And uh, 266 ISO, which is really high. So, yeah, really nothing to be concerned or or mad about whatsoever with his stats to date. It's going to be exciting as he hits AAA. We saw it last year with Westberg and Gunner. We know once you're in AAA and you're performing, the fans start calling for you. So I think we're going to see that very soon as long as he's performing. And maybe we will, maybe we won't see him in 2023. But he's right on the doorstep now. I mean, there. Thank you. Fans are already calling for Kirk Standards to the major leagues. If he goes out to a hot start, Lord have mercy. It's going to be obnoxious. You both kind of touched on good points there, which is the strikeout to walk numbers, because it seems like going back to Kirk Stats days at Arkansas, we've heard about strikeouts. Strikeouts are going to be high. He's going to hit for power. The strikeouts are going to be high. Double A, they weren't. But as Bob noted, he was pretty aggressive. Uh, low walk rate. I, I don't see a, a strikeout rate just under 16% being sustainable for a guy with that much power when he goes up against AAA pitching, but where do the two, the two of you see him kind of settling in as he moves up in that area? I mean, it's tough to tell because, I mean, he had a 17% in low A, but that makes sense because he was obviously just getting his feet under him. He dominated that level. Uh, then it went up to over 25% in high A, and now it's 15%. So I guess if he's around 20%, that is very good. A power hitter could, as long as you're under 25, I think you're you're in pretty good shape. And yeah, if he's going to be considerably under 25, then he's not going to be a Kyle Stowers with that swing and miss in his game and, and the power to go with it. He's going to be a power and average hitter, uh, more so than just a guy that's trying to run into one. He's going to be a guy who is looking to bat 280 or, or better. Yeah, I could, I could see that. The walk rate is a little concerning, and you wonder where that's going to fall up at the AAA level. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it begins. We saw this last year with you know Colton Kowser, and he got the call up to AAA, and the strikeouts were through the roof. It took him. He was in AAA. He ended the year what, a couple of weeks there with Norfolk, and the numbers were getting a little bit better, but then the season ended. Comes out this year, and it took him, what, about a month? Uh, before he really started settling, settling in, and now he's putting up those video game like numbers again. So you know, it took him about two months worth of competition. It's taken Connor Norby. I mean, he finished last year hot, but it took him about two months into this season, and now he's hitting almost 300 uh, right now with you know, showing more home run power, looking better out there. 
in the box. So it took him about two months as well. I mean, it's, I would not be shocked here. If it takes Kershaw two months, like, don't be alarmed. Uh, this is just kind of the pattern a lot of these guys are taking. And Norby and Cows are both guys, two guys with excellent hit tools and great eyes at the plate. So, yeah, if, if Kershaw can keep that strikeout rate between like 15 and 20% and he's hitting respectably out of the gates, yeah, I mean, this is, it becomes more real to me. And I could definitely start to see him like, all right, this guy could reach the major leagues. I, I don't know what has to happen at the major league level. That's a whole puzzle in and of itself trades whatever but if there is a spot yeah i could definitely see uh heston kershaw reaching the major leagues um this year but even with that seven percent walk rate i mean he's not a 383 on base percentage like the, the guy got on base the guy did everything right down in double a it's I'm, I'm excited to see him in that lineup yeah in the 2020 draft classes vivic notes here in the comments uh solid looking pretty solid right now because you've got kerstad and Jordan Westbrook at AAA. Hudson Haskins should be back there as soon as he He's recovers back. from an injury. Um, Kobe Mayo. That's right, yeah, this week. And Kobe Mayo uh, raking down at Bowie right now. It probably won't be a whole lot longer before he's in Norfolk. Yeah, it's funny. to I kind of forgot that Haskins and Kerstad were in the same draft class because it feels like Haskins has been in the system forever. And then Kerstad kind of just feels like he sprinted up the ladder the last uh, year, literally. Um, yeah, that's going to be fun. If if Norfolk's healthy, they're insane. They're ridiculous, <laughs> the talent level there. Yeah, I mean, you're going well, to now an outfield with Kerstad, Kowser, Haskin. Daz Cameron is still down there as well. You don't really want to take too many at-bats away from him, I don't think. Uh, and even at first base, you got Lewin Diaz, who is having a, a phenomenal season down there that nobody's talking about. I mean, he's, he's not a prospect, but I mean, he's depth, but still he's having a phenomenal season. So it will be interesting to see if Kershaw gets immediate, like full-time playing time down there in Norfolk or how they sprinkle him in as well as Vivek mentioned, Kyle Stowers. I've, I've forgotten all about Kyle Stowers, if I'm being completely honest there. Uh, hopefully he's back soon. Like this is, it's a stacked roster and it's going to be a lot of fun. We know Kowser is on the doorsteps of the major leagues. But how how do they else do they shake up this roster? That's that's what I'm, I'm going to see. There are going to be more moves have to be made in the next couple of weeks. You can ease Kerstad into this, but after like a week or two, something something big's got to give. I feel like. Yeah, and before we talk about Easton Lucas, I should mention Colton Calder came off the IL over the weekend and hit the ball very well in two games. Now he didn't play the full game on either Saturday or Sunday. But I believe it was a combined four for six in those two games with a home run. So showing no signs of rust as he comes off the IL. And we know a lot of Orioles fans kind of have the Colton Cowser watch on right now, especially with Cedric Mullins hurt in the major leagues. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it might have been actually four for five, not to nitpick that, but he had double, a walk, a home run. I think in his first two at-bats he had RBI singles or a single and an RBI single. I mean, yeah, it didn't seem like he missed a beat at all. And, you know, you don't – you start to wonder. The Orioles are coming home this Thursday against Kansas City Royals, and then they have a home series against the Blue Jays Tuesday through Thursday. Could he make his Major League debut at home at some point over that homestand? I don't know. It might be a little quick. But he seems like a guy that's going to be like a gunner in Adley where he's not coming up to be – Taron Vavra, Kyle Stowers, and play two or three times a week. He's When he's up, I think he's up playing most days, if not every day. And especially with Mullins out, I think they could use his defense and his own base. I mean, Aaron Hicks has been legendary in his first three games with the Orioles. But uh, you don't want to rush him back. But, man, he just did not look like he was rusty at all. And they're coming home soon. So I'd love to see it. I'm not, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but... Would be nice. I'm not getting my hopes up because Aaron Hicks has played so well. And uh, yeah, he's got the injury. They didn't even let him play two full games. Uh, was that Saturday or Sunday when he came back? So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's some, again, something big has got to happen. There's too much, there's too much talent on this roster, but there are legitimate holes. This is going to go down a whole nother rabbit hole if we don't just end it. But cows are phenomenal. He's back. He's fully healthy. And they're going to make room for him at some point. He is going to be up here. I think he is a guy that is going to stick around on this roster for right now. I don't see him being uh, one of the guys traded. 
if I'm being completely honest right now. I think he he can fill that role because his defense in center field is something I don't want to say it's like better than people give it credit for. I just don't think people talk about his defense out in center field a lot, but uh, it's good. And I think it's been most impressive this year, it, just to my eyeball. So, yeah, maybe we'll see. That home stand might be quick, but in the next two weeks, I could see something happening. Let's talk about um, Easton Lucas now. He is certainly a big addition in Norfolk's bullpen after a stellar run at Bowie, 17 innings over the first two months down there, struck out 24 batters in that span while walking just four and posting a 1.59 ERA. Lucas probably should have been on Norfolk's roster to start this season. He was solid for the Bay Sox last year, pitched very well in the Arizona Fall League, but sent back to Bowie basically because of depth and went down there and I think pretty much did everything you could ask of him. Lucas was acquired by the Orioles after the 2019 season in exchange for Jonathan VR. Now he's one level away from the major league. So Nick, I know that you've been hyping up Easton Lucas for a while. So I want to start with you here on this one. Um, pretty clearly deserved this promotion. What do you think the expectations should be for him going forward? I think they're going to, it'd be interesting because of the comments we heard over the Arizona fall league, like, could he be a starter? but he has not made a single start since he joined this organization. It's been all out of the bullpen. Uh, so I don't see the Orioles going that route, but he's a lefty option. He throws the ball hard. He's got multiple pitches right now. He's, he was having a career high 17 innings. So smaller sample size, but I mean, he was trending towards a career high strikeout rate, a career low walk rate. The ground ball rate was in like the 30 something percent range, his career it's up to 56% right now this year in Bowie. That's huge. 1.59 ERA. The FIP is 2.71. XFIP 1.84. So, I mean, the FIP's a little bit higher, but that's still respectable. Yeah, 26-year-old lefty who can give you two innings, certainly, if you need it. I, I think if he had just won a AAA, you know, there's there's the the new baseball, that, that whole grip there. But something else, too, that I heard, I think it was on uh, Rates and Barrels, they were mentioning this kind of in passing, and I was like, I never thought about this. And I wonder, I don't know if, if it's affecting Grayson. That's a whole side story. I don't want to go down there. But it, something to think about, the comment was just like with the you know Hawkeye calling balls and strikes down there in AAA now, that strike zone, a little bit tighter. And so I guess walks are up. Guys, More guys are having higher walk rates in AAA right now. So something to keep in mind in the back of mind, you know, if you're you know, box score watching or something, but I, I think this is a guy who a lefty with good walk numbers, good ground ball rates. It, he could potentially be someone who is a, an option down the road. Yeah. I think, I mean, first of all, he'll be 27 before the season's over. So he's yeah. kind of closer to that in year Cano um, caliber of an older prospect, relief prospect, but all I know is Bruce Zimmerman and Keegan Aiken are out of options starting next year. So <clears throat> I think you got a Keegan Aiken replacement right here in Easton Lucas potentially. I mean, Nick Vespi's already in AAA. I'd like to see him get a nice run at the majors this year at some point. And then I think Lucas kind of just slips into that Vespi role of a the best lefty in the Tides bullpen, potentially, unless I'm just forgetting someone and I'm not. Uh, talking about starters, Theo Hall. Um, I, I just think he's a guy that, again, he probably should have started this season in AAA, but the depth and the just the talent logjam, I mean, he's a guy that'll be there. If he's healthy and available at the right time, that an injury happens, he could make his major league debut this year. But I think it's, would he be picked up in the Rule 5 draft? Would they protect him going into next year? I guess we'll have to talk about that in a few months, but... Let's see how he does in AAA the rest of this season. And, yeah, uh, Jonathan VR trade, never die. It is worth noting that Lucas was Rule 5 eligible last offseason. Seemed like a reasonable candidate to be protected was not, ultimately was not chosen in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. So if he goes out and pits as well for a second straight season, that is going to make that conversation a lot more interesting. But as Bob said, it's something – We'll have to dive into uh, a few months from now. We'll go back to last week when after our show was uh, recorded Monday night, a few promotions were announced Tuesday morning as Douglas Hodo and Creed Willems were promoted from Delmarva to Aberdeen. 
And it feels like we should start with Willems because we had really been talking about the strides he had made offensively in, over the first few weeks of the season. After struggling for much of last year at Delmarva, Willems came out of the gate hot for the Sewerbirds, batting 302 with a 1056 OPS and eight homers over his first 120 plate appearances. He did so while walking 20 times and striking out 29. All the while, continuing to play pretty solid defense behind the plate when he was back there, mixing in some first base as well because the Shorebirds were having to find innings behind the plate for him and his teammate Samuel Basayo. He now joins Aberdeen's roster when the three of us thought that it might not you know, be an immediate promotion for Wilms just because he is younger and because they already had two pretty good catchers there in Silas Arduan and Adam Retzbach, but he gets a jump. And Bob, I'll start with you here. Again, another situation where I think the numbers speak for themselves, especially with Wilms there in his second stint at Delmarva. How much has his stock jumped in the last two months? I think pretty hugely. Yeah, I think you're seeing him enlist as far as young players with good barrel rates and exit velos and walk rates. Like he's he's in a teenage like. Well, I don't think he's a teenager anymore. I think he just turned 20, but he's in that very young player at a level where he's well above the age curve and performing extremely well. And I think he hit a home run in his first official at bat. So that's always cool to see. Um, yeah, Aberdeen's tough. He's going to struggle there. I would guarantee it. You know, I don't think he's going to be having an, a 1,000 OPS with the Ironbirds, but as long as he's just continuing to you know, show that his walks and, and strikeouts and just his whole game is not a fluke, which we know it's not, that he can continue to play the same way at a higher level and with lesser numbers. But And now he's got to work with a whole new staff. That's a whole whole new challenge for catchers as they go up levels. He's got to learn a whole new pitching staff. So that could, you know, make his focus on the offensive game slip a little bit. But maybe they'll let him DH a little bit more to uh, help offset that. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think I was less than 12 hours out from saying that he was probably going to be in Delmarva till the All-Star break on our Top 50 Update <laughs> Patreon show, and then he got announced to be going up to Aberdeen. So happy for him. It's pretty cool that you got Jackson Holiday, Creed Willems, and Frederick Ben-Cosme, all 19, 20-year-olds, performing in, in that Aberdeen lineup. It's fun. It's a fun time right now. Yeah, I think that's – a one of the bigger points too. It's like he put up huge offensive numbers in Delmarva, but moving up to high, it's not just facing better quality starting pitching. It's he is a catcher. So yeah, he has to learn an entire new pitching staff. I'm sure he's familiar with some of those guys who probably caught last year or something, but yeah, uh, keep that in mind as well now that he moves up. But I, I think that's the thing. And Vivek makes a good point too. I was specifically going to mention Silas or on i mean that's first another texas boy so two texas kids uh, i'm sure that's going to be plenty of fun conversations i'm sure a close bond can form there but i mean silas arduan was touted as one of the best defensive catchers in last year's draft class uh, so a good guy that creed can learn from up there but i think we get that question all the time about creed is he legit is that breakout legit and for me what kind of put the nail in this as far as yes he is was actually today, I don't know if you guys saw the article, Baseball America, Jeff Ponce, friend of the pod, put out 10 hitters in the minors with impressive underlying data. Just 10 from all across the league. And uh, there are two Orioles on that list, Creed Willems and Sammy Basayo. Uh, so two, not just the Orioles prospects, but two Orioles catching prospects on that list, which was amazing. But he's right here from Jeff's article. I mean, average exit velo, 91 miles per hour with a 105 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo, max EV 108. He says the contact rates could be better, but his chase rate is really good and the swing decisions are sound. So yeah, I think he's very legit at the plate. The underlying data backs that up. That's why he was promoted. He's very good behind the plate. He's not moving from behind the plate. Like stop asking that. He's not moving anytime soon. Um, it's a legitimate prospect here. And uh, I think among the three of us, I know Bob was the, the highest one. He shot him up his prospect ranks earlier on. I've been more hesitant, uh, but I don't know. I think he's getting another bump here and, uh, when we update July 1st. Yeah, so Willems actually just turned 20 yesterday. So happy birthday to Creed Willems. But, Bob, you were pretty aggressive moving Willems up your personal list um, early on this year. So 
I guess to you, some of the things that have come out maybe aren't surprising. Well, it's still nice to see, right? The, the reason I did is not just because, oh, he was putting up these numbers. What stood out to me was just the the way that he like half to strike out rate and doubled his walk rate. To me, that's like a surefire sign that whatever they're working on swing decisions wise, it's working. So that was to me like, oh, okay, that's that stands out because that will, I think those numbers, especially the strikeout rate will, um, it'll normalize pretty quickly. So it just seemed real. And then the more time went on, the more real it's been. And yeah, it's nice to see the recognition and yeah. And happy birthday, Creed. I know you're listening. We'll talk about Hodo now for a moment. The sixth round pick by the Orioles out of Texas last year. Hodo was noted at the time of the draft by a lot of national outlets for his defense and for his ability to get on base. And he flashed that during his time at Del Marva, playing a pretty solid center field while batting 255, the 403 on base percentage and a walk percentage of 17.9. Now, he did strike out in over 31% of his plate appearances, but nonetheless, he put together a very good start at Del Marva, earned that promotion to Aberdeen, and in fact, walked four times in six games during his first week at the Ironbirds while striking out three. So we know Hodo is a patient hitter. Good defender in the outfield. Uh, Nick, what is your reaction to the promotion, and how do you see Hodo fitting into Aberdeen's uh, plans going forward for this season? I think he's going to be really interesting to watch just because I think he's someone who you, you mentioned the strikeout numbers and some of his walk numbers there. He struck out more than you like, I think, going back to his days at Texas. But like the 400 on base percentage in Delmarva last year and then doing it again this year is impressive. Uh, I, I think it's, I remember right after the draft, someone reached out, someone DM'd us, uh, someone connected to Hodo, not a family member. So, you know, it's not dad trying to hype him up, uh, but uh, it was like, he's going to play. And he told us like, he's going to play all over the outfield. He's going to impress you. And, but if the Orioles can fix the swing and miss, which is an issue, he's going to be a, a pretty solid value pickup for this team. And so far, so good. Uh, I mean, I think, I'm trying to think who is in Aberdeen's outfield uh, right now. I don't have the roster pulled up in front of me. Da, da, da. I know you got Judd Fabian. I'm sure Judd Fabian could probably get to Bowie fairly soon. Uh, and then you got Beavers and Trimble was on the IL there. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be an everyday corner outfielder uh, for Aberdeen, and we'll see what he can do. But if, if the batting average can tick up and he can lower those strikeouts, he's right there. I don't – he didn't crack our top 50. Did he in our, in our last updates? Or Just did he? missed, I believe. Just Spoiler he's right outside alert. the top fifty. <laughs> so uh, become a patron, get the full new top fifty. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think you know if he plays well here in high A, like this is a another guy you can add to this mix. Another outfield prospect you can add uh, to this mix here is another top fifty prospect. Yeah, this was a promotion that made way too much sense. I mean, he's in the same class as the guys like Beavers and Fabian, where. You know, he could have probably started the season in high Aberdeen and and been okay. But I guess with uh, Trimble, unfortunately, he got hurt again. And I think they wanted to give Isaac Bellany another run. It just made sense to promote him now. Adam Crampton, another college guy, he's struggling a little bit. But, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if he got up to high A this year either. But for Herdo, he's going to give you great defense. He's going to get on base, can steal bases. Yeah, he's, they haven't fixed the swing and miss yet based on the strikeout rate, but he's hitting for more power, hitting more doubles. So, yeah, um, I think he's a, an interesting guy to follow. He kind of reminds me of a Zach Watson type from a, a few years ago with obviously a way different hit profile, what walks up, power down, but just good defense and a single flaw in his offensive game that, you know, if it's fixed, could uh, could be a really good low-key uh, late draft signing. Would you say it's fair to put Hodo maybe in that tier of outfield prospects that are, you bring the, you, you leave them in the mix for us in the top 50 because they seem to be high floor guys, guys like Dante Williams, who we're actually going to talk about a little bit later on in this show, who have struggled offensively but can play excellent defense, can get on base. Do you think Hodo's kind of in that mix right now? Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, just defensively alone, that raises his value. And, I mean, it, it really is just the strikeouts. Uh, he has yet to hit a home run since the Orioles drafted him, 
but the power is there. He does have that power. It just hasn't translated to over the fence power yet. Uh, so yeah, I could say that. I could see that for sure. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me as well. We'll go now to preview the Orioles short season leagues, which got underway on Monday with the start of the 2023 campaigns for their two Dominican Summer League teams, the Orioles Orange and the Orioles Black, as well as their club in the Florida Complex League down in Sarasota. And we'll start with the Dominican Summer League, where I think the big headline for this season is going to be Luis Almeida, who was signed by the Orioles over the offseason to a club record bonus for an international prospect. Almeida, as you have probably heard before, has a very unique background. He was actually born in the United States, moved with his family to the Dominican Republic a few years ago to care for a grandmother who was suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and then was signed out of the Dominican this past international free agent class. He is part of the DSL Orioles Orange, and he was in the lineup today when they faced the Padres gold and lost 4-1. to one. So Almeida's the guy that we're going to kind of have our eye on at least initially because we're starting to get to know some of these players in this first few weeks for us. And I think anybody who really follows these organi- you know, follows these teams, it's going to be a learning curve. But Bob, when you, um, you know, based off of what we know with Almeida so far, what do you think we can expect from him? I would think he would be a more advanced bat compared to the some of the other guys from the same signing class, not just because he signed for a bigger deal and was, you know, more highly acclaimed, but because he, he grew up in the American, you know, competitive system, at least until he, he went to the Dominican. So I would think he has a chance to actually be one of the few guys that could uh, get promoted midseason during the season from the Dominican Summer League to the Florida Coast League. Uh, I imagine... He's probably pretty polished, but, you know, these guys are 16, 17 years old, so it's really, really hard to say. Um, We've seen guys like Luis Gonzalez who were signed for big money at the time, and it's taken a while, and it doesn't seem like it's clicking. But then you see other guys like Steven Acevedo, some other guys that, you know, struggle, struggle, struggle for a couple years, and then boom, something clicks, get a little bit better. Or Ilya Prado, just kind of like a gradual thing where he got healthy, got consistent playing time and then just gradually got better and better and still a long ways to go. So Almeida could quote unquote struggle like Michael Hernandez for two years and still be 18 years old and, you know, 19 years old and a chance to develop. So the key is to be very patient, but I would expect him to be a little more polished and potentially move a little bit quicker than some guys. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the hope because he has so much extensive experience. I think I remember you know, seeing around the signing deadline day, they were kind of talking like he could could have pretty much had his pick of any collegiate program in the country to go play for. Like he was that good in high school. But still, yeah, you are talking about a 16-year-old kid. I think he just turned 17. So he's still got a lot to growing, phys- a lot to grow physically, uh, mentally as well, just the maturity aspect of it all. I have no doubts that the Orioles – got a high character kid here, but at the same time, you're talking about a young teenager where there's a wide range of potential outcomes here with him, but he does have that U S plane experience. He should be more advanced than a lot of his peers. And I thought for sure that there, we would start the year in the FCL because of all that. Yeah. He's, he's got all the background. He could probably hold his own, even though he's only 16, 17 years old in the FCL, because some of those guys, some of his teammates in the FCL, He's probably more advanced than them already. But when you look at that FCL roster, actually now when I was preparing for this, I mean, you got guys like Michael Hernandez still down there, and we'll dive into this roster later on, but guys like Aaron Estrada down there, Edwin Amparo, and you got a lot of shortstops already on that FCL roster and some kind of high pro- higher profile guys as well. So yeah, sticking him down in the DSL for a couple of weeks, let him get his feet wet there, let him settle in. And by the end of the year, you'll see him in Sarasota, he could still potentially, I'm thinking best case scenario, he could still be like the opening day shortstop for Delmarva next season as a 18 year old kid. I wouldn't put that, put that past him as well. Yeah, not at all. And Almeida's bonus, by the way, of 2.3 million, which he received from the Orioles in January, set a new club record surpassing the 1.9 million that Braylon Tavera, or excuse me, the 1.7 million that Braylon Tavera received before the 2022 season. Now, when you look around the Dominican Summer League rosters, as I mentioned, it's going to be kind of a learning curve for us and for P- 
people following the Orioles to try to figure out who these players are and who is going to stand out. For instance, in 2021, we knew nothing about Frederick Ben Cosme. And then all of a sudden you're checking the box scores a couple months into the season. And this guy is hitting for a high average, walking a ton and not striking out. Very similar story played out last year with Aaron Estrada, a young infielder who is now in the FCL and showed excellent back to ball skills in the Dominican summer league last season. Now, with that said, I am going to put the three of us on the spot here. Is there anyone on the on either Dominican Summer League roster that stands out to you that you're kind of excited to follow this season? Yes. Um, <laughs> I got a couple names I listed down here. Um, just with the bats first, Joshua Lorenzo. I, I think he got... I don't remember how much money he got. I want to say 600 something, that, or 497, half a million dollars, basically, is what he got. Uh, and he was one of, according to Ben Badler, uh, Lorenzo was one of the youngest players in the entire international class last year. The Orioles gave him half a million dollars. He won't turn 17 until the very end of the season. But he's already got the start today, Monday. He got the start for one of the DSL squads. Uh, went hitless, but drew a walk. So clearly the Orioles pretty high on him. I've seen some other, you know, the small discussions that we can find about a lot of these DSL guys. Lorenzo's name pops up uh, pretty much everywhere that I look. So I'm keeping my, my eye on him. I like catchers. I love catchers a lot. And Ben Badler noted as his you know, sleeper name to watch in this class was a 17-year-old Venezuelan catcher, Omar Urbina. I also just love the last name Urbina, so that helps here. But he talks about how he's an offensive-minded catcher who has, who he's pretty high on the hit tool and the power. So I love offensive catchers. I'll be watching him. But uh, two pitchers I noted here were, I'm gonna butcher his first name here, Isel. I'm gonna guess uh, Correa, uh, a Cuban signing. I tweeted out the video again today. There was an awesome video of his reaction of hearing the news that the Orioles are signing him. He cries. It's a beautiful video. I love it. I. Cry cry it's amazing uh so i am 100 rooting for this guy and then today he threw three and a third shutout innings with six strikeouts in his pro debut so fantastic start there and then the last one is uh, another pitcher keeler morphe i think i mentioned him as my guy after the draft class was announced and we talked about these guys a little bit but 16 years old according to badler he can already touch 95 has an effortless delivery He's predicting another jump in velo down the road. Already has a feel for the slider, apparently. I am really excited. The few videos I've seen of him, uh, Kiefer, Keeler, Morphe, and Correa are, are the two pitchers that I'm going to watch uh, pretty closely. And Morphe, he's got, he's the anti Elias, uh, five foot nine. So yeah. a short guy that's got heat, like mm -hmm. Pedro Martinez style, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, Alex Fan with a bigger fastball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's uh, listed at 155 pounds. If he can already hit 95 at that frame, then shoot, who knows what he's he's got on uh, in his belt over the years. But yeah, I was gonna say before we wrap this up with the DSL, we should pick this year's Ben Cosme slash Aaron Estrada. Who's gonna be the guy that's like batting 350 and just impressing throughout the entire season? Uh, I'm still thinking about who my pick would be, but. I, I, I'm really interested in Lorenzo as well. He seems like a potential Kobe Mayo type where it's third base, tall, strong, impressive power and, and arm with uh, the defense there. I could see uh, him being a fan favorite as the years goes on if he's hitting like, you know, Samuel Basayo type shots from the right side. Um, got Felix Amparo. I'm not sure if there's any relation to Edwin Amparo, who's in the FCL. Um, Jose Maeja, a shortstop. Luis Guevara, a shortstop. Francisco Morale is a is a pitcher, left-handed pitcher, and more Elias type, six foot two at seventeen years old, left-handed pitcher. Uh, he's already up to ninety-one miles per hour with uh, good control and feel for a spin on a curveball. Ben Badler writes, so he's he's at least uh, you know they don't draft pitchers, right? So you got to sign some from the international to make up for it, but. Yeah, it's exciting. I can't wait to see which guys become favorites quickly from just looking at the box scores and, and Instagram posts for highlights. But, you know, this is the start of a bunch of new Orioles careers and excited to pay attention all along with them. 
Yeah, I think the two of you um, really highlighted some good names there. Morfe was a guy that I've had my eye on since January. I remember seeing clips of his delivery before we did our recap show of the players that were signed on January 15th and just really liking what I saw because usually when you see a report about a guy who's that young, hasn't filled out physically yet, throwing that hard, the first thing that at least for me comes to mind is his delivery must be really max effort and have a lot of moving pieces to it. That's not the case at all with Morfe. So I really like him a lot. I like Francisco Morales, another uh, guy to keep an eye on. With uh, Luis Gariba, who you just mentioned, Bob, the Orioles talked about at the time how they saw him as a potential top-of-the-order bat, a switch hitter. So someone I really am interested to see what he can do. And then uh, in a similar vein, a little bit different, though, Jose Mejia, um, who the second baseman has been singled out by the Orioles for his offensive abilities and power projections. So that's someone else that I'd have my eye on. Now, power projections not going to show up uh, in a teenager in the Dominican Summer League unless that teenager's name is Samuel Basayo. But you can still look at certain things over the course of a season, whether it's the walk rate, the strikeout rate, or the WRC+. Plus. And I think start to get some sense of the kind of hitter you're looking at, even without getting too far into scouting the stat line. And I know for us, that's one thing we look at with all with both short season levels is that walk to strikeout rate with these young hitters. So that can tell us how advanced they are in terms of recognizing pitches and their control of the strike zone. Yeah, it is very uh, important to note that, especially when we're talking about these guys, we do not know much. We are going off of fan graphs. Like you said, the walk and strikeout rate for me is like the most important, but also just, you know, keeping an eye on baseball America for sometimes they'll throw some, some scouting reports or some updates of people they're seeing or, you know, like I said, Instagram, honestly, you'll see some, you know, they're only picking out the highlights because that's fun, but you at least get to get a glimpse of the swing and, and the pitches for the pitchers. So yeah, we're working on very little as guys, I would say just in general, as guys climb up the ladder, the more confident we are in our takes on them. So the guys in AAA, I feel like we have a really good grasp of who they are and it just gets a little bit more shaky as you go down with the DSL being the most uh, shaky. It's still fun though. It's still fun oh, to yeah, dive absolutely. in here and look at like, you know, all right, look at their physical profiles, look at what little bit of information we can get. And it's like a puzzle. You're trying to put this together. Like, all right, who is like, you know, Bob's like, all right, let's take a guess at who is this year's, you know, Frederick Ben Cosme or whatever. Like I'm sitting over here looking at Luis Guevara over five, eight, one sixty seven is what he's listed at switch hitting shortstop at 17 years old and Ben Badler's write up from a couple of weeks ago said this guy with a, a knack for putting the ball in play plus speed, good chance to stick at shortstop, uh, high baseball IQ, good contact skills. So I see a guy who's not going to hit a ho- many home runs, but he's going to hit 350 down there in the DSL with good walk strikeout numbers and be in the FCL by the end of the season. Uh, like that's, that's something, uh, you know, someone to keep an eye on. I mean, it's and it's fun to see to look back and figure out all right who hit, who didn't, and then who is the who are the true Aaron Estradas that kind of pop up here out of nowhere, and then you know we bring uh, Kobe Prez back on. He's name dropping guys that we've never even heard of, and it's like oh he throws 100 miles an hour. That's cool. Uh, it'd be great if someone out there would publish some of this information. Yeah. So is that your pick then? That's what I'm going with. I'm going with Guevara. I don't know why. That's just sticking out to me. I'll go with Abraham Cohen. He's an outfielder out of Venezuela. He signed for 137,000. Ben Badler writes, Cohen's hitting ability has been his calling card. At six foot one, 175 pounds, he's an easy sound swing that translates well in games where he finds the barrel often with gap power. So I'll go with him. And yeah, it's fun. Like you said, you, I feel like even we, we noticed Ben Cosme a little bit just from the way we, we quote unquote scout these DSL guys and Aaron Estrada, obviously the way he was performing stood out, but I feel like even Basayo, when we saw his Instagram videos of his home runs, we were like, okay, this guy is legit. It seems like, you know, as long as he can continue to perform. So yeah, I think Lorenzo and I'll go with Cohen are my preseason favorites and we'll see how it develops. Since um, Guevara and Lorenzo are off the board, I'll go ahead and take Mejia as my guy there. But I think all three are worthy choices. 
We'll go now to the Florida Complex League, and their season got underway today with a 7-2 loss to the FCL Red Sox, yet the performance of one prospect in particular stood out, and that was Zach Sowalter. The right-hander delivered three shutout innings in the start, no walks, two hits, and six strikeouts. Sowalter is a guy we've been hearing a little bit about since last summer when he was drafted by the Orioles, but he did not pitch last year after being drafted, so making his professional debut this spring after being drafted out of Wesley Chapel High School down in Wesley Chapel, Florida in the 11th round. So going to get a chance now to follow So Walter and his development. But, Nick, I'll start with you here. Is this a guy that you think we're going to be talking about a lot this summer? When you kick off your first ever pro start the way he did, the six strikeouts in three innings, uh, I'd say, yeah, I remember – see an 11th round draft pick and that was what the start of like day three or something of the draft and i believe he was the top name available on the board orioles took him you know he's he's a florida high school pitcher but he wasn't like a uf uh commit university of florida commit he wasn't a florida state commit and i remember after the draft thinking all right he's a south florida commit right this is this is fine it's a guy that they seem to really like obviously so let's see what he can do but i don't see him being a guy that we get to we get our eyes on personally for a couple of years kind of like a project type guy but some of the video i know he put out a video i think in like extended spring training or something this was a couple of months ago he put out a video the slider was already a beautiful pitch that thing's getting guys out in low a that slider that he was throwing in this video uh, without a doubt and i know some of the little bit of information we have about him was hoppy fastball i mean the the key word here it's like apparently the fastball has got like extreme ride on it. And that's a pitch that I think I've seen a couple of places say potentially a plus pitch for him. And if if the slider is already as good as what some of the videos he's putting out, yeah. I mean, he's still, what, 18 or is he 19 now? I don't know how old he is. 18, 19-year-old, still a, a young teenage kid. But, I mean, just look at the Orioles' track record of high school picks. When they go after a high school kid, I am paying extra close attention because they seem to be doing a pretty good job with these guys so far. Yeah, I didn't even have to read a scouting report to know he had a hoppy fastball because the Orioles <laughs> drafted him. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like he's one of these rare cases of a guy who's been building hype without even playing. <laughs> you see videos of him, and he, he looks really impressive. He's looking great. And, yeah, the first start of the season was great as well. So, you know, I would not be shocked if he's in Delmarva before the end of the season. If Carter Baumler and Zach Showalter are in the same Delmarva rotation at some point towards the end of the season, that would be that would be very exciting. So yeah, I'm I'm very high on him. And honestly, the FCL roster as a whole, it seems pretty stacked for me. Even with guys just uh, on rehab assignments that I've been wondering where they were. Well, here they are: Ryan Higgins, Trenton Craig, Greg Cullen, and you know the pitchers maybe not as impressive as the hitters, but. It's a deep, impressive roster, and I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to see how it plays out all year. Yeah, Bob, that's a good point. And if you look at the box score from Monday's contest, you see a lot of the rehab assignment guys getting uh, at-bats. Greg Collin, Trendon Craig, Ryan Higgins. But as you know, the roster is pretty deep. So going through that group, what names stand out to you? Let's see. I will say Michael Hernandez. He obviously has struggled quite a bit after being one of the big signings out of the the past few years, international classes. Again, he apparently looks a lot better this spring into summer, and I'm curious to see if that's going to translate into games. Um, Let's see, Aaron Estrada finally going to be stateside, and if he's as good as Ben Cosme, then he could also reach Delmarva before the season is over. Christian Benavidez and Alfredo Vasquez, I feel like, or Velasquez, I feel like are guys who didn't have the big name value as far as at the top of a list when it comes to international signing dollar amounts. But those guys played really well last year. Edwin Amparo, he's on our top 50 list. Raylan Ramos showed flashes. Braylon Tavera, obviously, almost forgot about him like Nick did on his uh, 50 top 50 list. Um <laughs> And even Kevin Guerrero, guys like that, uh, Junior Lara, who are in their second year now in the FCL, can they make, you know, a difference and continue their development? So honestly, it's just like one through nine. I feel like the lineup's going to be an interesting name. 
Yeah, Hernandez is the tough one. Um, he's still only 19, and I feel like we've been talking about him for five years now at this point, though, because he's struggled so much since he joined the organization. Uh, but, you know, it's – you look at his numbers last year in the FCL. He had a strikeout rate of like 33.7%, WRC plus of 51. But he's also still only 19 years old. And so I'm going to give him another year. I'm not going to say this is a make or break year for him because he's still a teenager. But you've got to see something from Michael Hernandez being that this is year three in the organization. And the, they already came out uh, – Kobe Perez himself already came out late last year and said that the Orioles are tinkering with his game. And so now is that coming out in, in game action, right? Is he actually improving? Because right now the numbers have been pretty awful up to this point. So he's got to show something this year, but at the same time, like Samuel Basaya looks great. Ben Cosme looks great. A lot of his classmates from that signing class look fantastic. So if he doesn't pan out, it's not a, Oh man, that was a terrible signing class. That signing class is still looking like a fantastic class. Basaya potentially a top, is it going to be a top 10 prospect by the end of the year in this system? So let's see. Hopefully year three, he shows something. Um, I think Edwin Amparo is going to be kind of a, a sleeper here because you look at the numbers in the DSL last year, he was one of the few guys. There are a lot of guys last year who you know, the early, I think OPS by month was like 560 OPS. And then he went to a 503 OPS, but then he went to a 1017 OPS. Also hit his first two home runs those last two months of the year. I, I think he's got... I know I think Zach's been the higher one on him on our list. I haven't I kind of removed him from my top 50 as we saw these new draft classes and stuff come in, but I just think he gets uh, he's going to get a fair shake this year. When you got him and Leandro Arias down there in the FCL right now, Arias is a bigger name guy, getting more national love, but I think uh, Edwin Amparo is a guy who sticks out at least statistically uh, this season. Uh, pitching wise, well, I got to talk about outfielders real quick. There's a trio. And I, I hope something comes at these trio. Real quick. Go ahead. I did forget Leandro Arias. That's because he's not on the roster. Thanks yeah. a lot, MILB. <laughs> yeah, Arias is uh, in Sarasota. But uh, the, the outfield trio of Thomas Sosa, Raylan Ramos, and Braylon Tavera, like, Sosa has incredible raw power. Uh, I'm scared about if there's much more there, but incredible raw power. Ramos hit really well in the DSL last year and had the good strikeout-to-walk numbers. Um good OPS, really good final month of the year as well. I'm excited to see if he can put something together. Uh, but Tavera, like I, I still don't know. Um, I'm still on the wait and see train with Tavera because pretty much everything you read about him, right? It's no one's like super high on him. It's always kind of like he's there. He's, you know, average hitter, average power, below average arm. I think is how Baseball America has described him. And the numbers in the DSL were okay. A lot of strikeouts last year, but he also drew a ton of walks. He had like a 411 on base percentage. So I think the Tavares signing is a lot like I kind of comparing that to a lot of the trade targets the Orioles have had over the last couple of years. Consensus doesn't have him very highly ranked, but something in his skill set fits what the Orioles preach and the Orioles think that they can get a lot more out of him. And so hopefully something clicks here now that he's stateside and uh, more people are like, hey, like check this guy out. Um, I, I like the outfield there. Hopefully those guys, at least one of them really breaks out. But pitching just some guys who put up good DSL numbers that I'm anxious to see. Brian Batista had 48 strikeouts and 43 innings in the DSL as an 18 year old, only walked 10 guys. Luis De Leon is a lefty, a six, three lefty who had 45 strikeouts to just 13 walks and 28 innings. The ERA was over five, but he had a whip of about one and a 165 average against. So those are kind of weird numbers to see overall, but six, three lefty. I'm, I'm intrigued. And then uh Harif Faris, was a DSL all-star last year, I believe. 51 strikeouts, 31 innings. But it was his third year in the DSL, and he's 22 now. So he's an older guy, but uh, you know, maybe just a late bloomer. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I agree with Bob. I, I'm more intrigued by the hitters than the pitchers. But there are definitely some, uh, I think, every single day. I was going to say night. Every single day, you're going to see a lineup with your mind. That's uh, pretty impressive. I know. Yeah, and if I could just real quick shout out a couple other pitchers. Um, just looking at the list, the ones that stand out to me just based off of their what they did last year. Aris Rodriguez, I think, is an interesting arm. Brainer Sanchez, Jose Ramirez. Um, I know Junior Pina can, can throw really hard. Let's see if he can put it together. Jose Leandro, I feel like he was a super young guy that had – some impressive numbers. Yeah, he had a 1.91 ERA over 
28 innings with 36 strikeouts as a 20-year-old last year. And Anthony Murillo, or Murillo, he was a guy that I was looking forward to seeing last year, but unfortunately he was hurt. Um, In 2021, he pitched in nine games in the DSL and had a 2.65 ERA over 34 innings with 45 strikeouts and only eight walks. So curious to see what he can do now that he's apparently healthy again. So there's nothing like that stands out as uh, guys you must watch every time out, except for maybe Zach Showalter and Ryle Rangel, if he can get back on track. But there's still some interesting names on the on the mound as well. Yeah, I'll just uh, chime in real quick with thoughts about Kevin Guerrero, who was part of the return for Tanner Scott and Cole Salter from the Marlins at the end of spring training in 2022. Guerrero had performed really well for the Marlins in the Dominican Summer League as a 17-year-old in 21. was a guy that you know, had some expectations around him going into the FCL last year, and unfortunately he didn't deliver on them while he walked just over 20% of the time. He also struck out over 34% of the time and had a 65 WRC+. plus. I think, Nick, what you were saying earlier about Michael Hernandez and wanting to be patient with him, that's kind of how I feel about Guerrero. First year in a new organization, moving stateside, moving up to the next level, only being 18 years old. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's one of those guys that sounds like the raw skill set could really be interesting. Um, Center fielder, looks like he's got some projection, can run. Um, I just noted the walk rate. So he clearly has a good eye at the plate, but has got to cut back on the strikeouts from last year. That really was what undid him offensively. But, it, you know, only 19 years old. So hopefully he's able to get going at the plate this year. Yeah, I had wrote his name down here too, just because the numbers weren't good uh, last year. But you, you mentioned the age. And for me, what stood out was I think right after the trade happened and, you know, we're like, all right, who are these guys? And I think I remember seeing someone had commented like Kevin Guerrero when he was with the Marlins organization as a what, 16, 17 year old was playing games in like extended spring or something one of their camps or something like that he was playing against like the high a double a kids so they were the marlins were super aggressive with him in practices and offseason stuff and i'm like all right well this is clearly a sign the marlins are high on him so my expectations were pretty high for him last year he didn't live up to them but that was the marlins organization like he's 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 an oriole now they're going to tweak what they want to tweak uh mold him how they want him molded and let's see what he can do uh this year but that that whole trade like even if guerrero doesn't pan out you got Guerrero Antonio Velez uh, Velez is not going to pan out but you also got Judd Fabian in that trade and that's uh in the discussion right there still a great trade even if Guerrero and Velez don't end up panning out so yeah I like the Guerrero pick as well we'll go now to our final segment of the show where we shout out a player outside of our top 30 list for something they've done recently whether it's been a good game a good week or it's just something interesting that we see in the stat line that we want to point out. And I'm going to start with Bob, who wants to welcome back a guy that I think is a fan favorite among Orioles prospect followers, as well as a couple of pitchers. Yeah, the pitchers I picked uh, in combination, just because I feel like they're having similar successes and similar uh, issues. It's I'll start with the pitchers. It's um, Dylan Hyde, who's pitching for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Keegan Gillis is getting all the attention because he's only given up one hit with 21 strikeouts and three walks on the year. Well-deserving, but Dylan Hyde also has a 3.29 ERA over 13 and two thirds innings. He's walked eight batters, which is the bad thing, but he struck out 28. So that's like Felix Bautista level, uh, K, K to nine. So shout out to him. And then the other guy, you know, we talked about the Jonathan VR trade. So, why not talk about the Freddie Galvis trade to Tyler Birch for double-A Bowie under the radar, having a, a pretty strong start to the season. 2.57 ERA over 14 innings with eight walks again, but 13 strikeouts. And, you know, we heard about his slider, I feel like, when, during that trade. And that's his carrying tool. And so far in 2023, it's working for him. But, yeah, my, my hitter is Toby Welk, who is – Coming back from an injury to start the season, I'm guessing working his way back to Double A Bowie, who could use the help. But in his first week of rehab games for Delmarva, he was four for 14 with two walks, and it seemed like the hits started to come 
closer to the end of the week. So nice to see him back in action. Hopefully we can get some more of these injured guys back before long as well. Sounds like we're going to get a big chunk of uh, injured guys back in the next week or so, which is going to make <laughs> the transactions uh, even more fun that we were talking about at the top of the show. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go my hitter, Carter Young. 412 average last week with a double, a home run, only one walk, but he only had one strikeout as well, which I think was the most impressive for me. So small sample, 1121 OPS over that week, but he's trending up. He had a 474 OPS in April. That went up to 640 OPS in May. Now he's on this impressive run that he went on last week to kind of end May, begin June. I think he was that Sunday. I think he was four for four. Uh, they might have all four been singles, but still four for four day at the plate. It's been a tough start for Carter Young, but like we've mentioned before, I mean, this is a project. Uh, a lot of questions about the bat. Is it legit or not? He's got a lot of people who don't believe in him. He's got a lot of people who do believe in him. Who is he? Uh, hopefully, he's starting to show us more the true Carter Young with this uh, recent stretch he's on. But uh, in my pictures, uh, Cooper Chandler, a shout out to him. I'm moving away from the, the quad A guys up in Norfolk uh, and going down a little younger this week. Uh, it's more fun. Cooper Chandler, undrafted free agent out of Rice. Uh, so again, this is a Texas-themed show, I feel like. Uh, he allowed one run across five innings with one walk and seven strikeouts in a start with Aberdeen last week. He's now has nine appearances with Aberdeen, a 3.31 ERA, 38 strikeouts, just 11 walks and 32 innings. And I get big time like Daniel Fetterman vibes from him. This undrafted arm who you think maybe gets up to Aberdeen in Aberdeen's bullpen and like that's his ceiling, but they hit Aberdeen and they just keep getting better. They move into the rotation and you're like, what are they doing? Oh yeah, the strikeouts are through the roof. Uh, Cooper Chandler starting to trend towards that. Uh, so I'm, I'm impressed. Shout out to Cooper Chandler on a great week. And uh, hopefully uh, he's got my attention now. And hopefully let's uh, he does continue on that Daniel Fetterman uh, track there. We see him with 80 strikeouts in 50 innings this year. Good choices from both of you. For my hitter this week, I'm shouting out Dante Williams, who was excellent in Bowie series against Harrisburg last week. Six games, he went a total of nine for 18th plate. So batting 500 with five doubles, six RBI, three walks to four strikeouts. That stretch included two three-hit games, including his three-for-five performance in Sunday's finale. Williams has been delivering as advertised on defense with some excellent plays for Bowie's outfield this year. However, he's followed up a really up-and-down offensive season in 2022 with some real struggles at the plate in 2023. Nonetheless, he comes into the first full week of June with a 329 on base percentage. So hopefully... Everything else starts to fall into place for him, and we see the offensive production tick up a little bit here over the summer months. And then for my pitcher, I'm going to shout out a guy who got into two games for Aberdeen last week, but I want to highlight one of those performances in particular, and that is Dan Hammer. Um, Hammer pits two scoreless innings behind Dean Pinto in their game back on June 1st, where Aberdeen's pitching staff held the Renegades' bats to just two hits over nine innings of work, Hammer had three strikeouts and two scoreless innings with a walk. His strikeout numbers this season have been really good. He spanned 19 batters and 11 and, thir 11 and one thirds innings pitched. Walks have been high. That has been a problem for him, but a good outing last week in an impressive pitching performance for Aberdeen against a lineup that has given Aberdeen some problems off and on over the course of this season. And he continues to pile up impressive strikeout numbers. It's hammer time. I was, I'm glad you wrote up Dante Williams because if you weren't, I was going to only because hopefully I, I feel like he's had a couple of games this year where he's like two for two with two walks or three for three with a walk. And then I'm like, Oh, is Dante Williams heating up? And I look at his splits and I'm like, he's not uh, the batting average is still like barely a hundred, but he is training up these last couple of weeks. And I, I was I think it was the game he made another fantastic diving play in the outfield. He's got like five or six of these already. And then he hit his first home run later in that game. And I'm like, man, if he could just get hot. And I don't want to put you guys on the spot because this is a tough question. But maybe a future episode or if you've got something now, we can have fun with it. But I was like, if you could give any prospect in this system, like the tool from another player, like what would it be? And I, I'm not saying my answer would be giving Dante Williams like a better hit tool, but if I could give Dante Williams like a Colton Cowser hit tool, Dante Williams would be a top 15 prospect in the system, I think. So it's 
I wish that bat would just come around for for good because he's so much fun to watch. Yeah, the defense and speed certainly plays. Let's give him Hesed Kerstad's bat since he's the star of this show. I think that would do pretty well. Basically give him any uh, good bat. I think he's looking a lot better, but you never know. He can still turn it around. Yeah, absolutely. And as for... I think if you give Colton Calder Dante Williams, or you give Dante Williams Colton Calder's hit tool, he's a top 15 prospect overall in baseball. With the center field defense that he has, the ability to hit for average, the power, the walk rate, that's a top 15 prospect in all of baseball. So just not Colton Calder's strikeout rate, right? Because, you know, that's so awful. Yeah. Hashtag Colton Calder problem. And I think Nick has given us a good topic for a future show. We will be back next week with more Orioles minor league coverage. We're going to talk about any news that comes out over the next week on the major league and minor league side. In the meantime, give us a follow on Twitter at BSL and the birds. And while you're there, consider joining our Patreon community where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month and have access to a WhatsApp group. And at five and $10 levels have access to bonus daily content and our monthly top 50 prospect update list. And be sure to head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where you can check out the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. When you're over at BSL, be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.